0: It is my privilege. Thank you very much, brother, for this invitation. This group of people means something special to me, and so uh, when Dan calls, uh, it puts a little jump in my heart, and and here I am. So this is good. Uh, When I say, uh, finish the the thing here. When I say, "Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright." Uh, About three weeks ago, a 14-year-old young lady in a juvenile detention in Fort Lauderdale delivered a poem that she had written uh, to our Youth for Christ missionaries there. And the title was, Silent Night, Not a Holy Night, All is Not Calm. calm." And it described the story of her abuse and loss of innocence. Again, a 14-year-old girl. And uh, her life is dest- destroyed and disrupted by very much evil around her. And yet, God is at work in her life. The uh, Gary and Karina Brown, who are our staff there, shared that they are seeing God transform this young lady's life through the power of the gospel. That that's what it was. That's what her life was. And uh, she's entering into a new day. But Silent Night, not a holy ni- uh, Silent Night, not a holy night. All is not calm. That just brings a lot of uh, challenging images into my mind for a young 14-year-old girl. And uh, Youth for Christ is about that message. And again, praying for our Peoria Rescue Ministry is awesome. People who are very broken, uh, pursuing the lost for Jesus Christ. And you're about that. You just, Dan just mentioned praying for your neighbors. Man, bake a, a bunch of cookies and take them over the next couple weeks and say, hey, bring your kids to a kite day. Say, is there anything we could do for you? Is there something that we could pray for you? But take courage to do those kinds of things because God is going to use you to make a difference for his kingdom. And uh, it's awesome. I love, I love the, the vision, and uh, it's fun to hear that. Um, when I say, I'm going to say a couple words, and what, what comes to mind when you first hear them? And one of them is what we just saying about. The first word is faith. Okay, so the victory, we just just saying that. That's one thing that comes to mind. The other word is trouble. Trouble? Water? <laughs> <laughs> Depending on what's going on in your world today, there's a storm brewing up today. Trouble could be coming weather-wise. Uh, maybe you've had a call from a doctor this week that brought trouble. But here are, here are two little things about, about uh, faith and trouble. Anyone heard of Charles Blondin? I'm not sure I'm saying his name correctly. Charles uh, was uh, born in like 1827 and lived to like 1867 or something like that. But he was a tightrope wa- rope walker. And one of his, ma- his most uh, impressive feats was below Niagara Falls in the gorge. He ran a 1,100-foot a, a rope Three and a half inches wide, stretched it across the Niagara Falls area, and did his tightrope walking across the Niagara Falls. Okay? Listen to some of the things he did. He first accomplished this on June 30th, 1859, a number of times, always with a different thea- theatric variation. Listen to the different variations. Blindfolded. In a sack. Crundling a wheelbarrow. Can you imagine? On stilts. This guy is crazy. Carrying a man. His, major, his manager, excuse me, Harry Calcord, and there's a picture of him. They're standing on the floor, but he's got him on his back there. Uh, on his back. Sitting down midway while he cooked and ate an omelet and standing on a chair with only one leg on the rope. Now, his nickname was the Great Blondin. And again, as the public gathered there, you you and I would stand in awe of this guy, blindfolded, standing on one leg of a chair, going this. And again, one of those feats was dragging a wheelbarrow or pushing a wheelbarrow across the thing. And one of his famous... Uh, things that I am told, and again, I didn't verify it over the internet, but that he would stand with the wheelbarrow and go, how many of you can believe the great blondin can walk across the tightrope pushing this wheelbarrow? And everybody would cheer. And then the next thing he said, who believes that I could push a person in the wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls? And everyone would cheer. And then he goes, who's my first volunteer? (laughs) And not a hand would go up. Why did they have faith that he could do what he said he would do? They believed, they saw, they were in in awe of what he did. But did any of them, would you have had the faith to put your trust in the great blondin and get in that wheelbarrow? I can't say I would do it myself either. But, faith, that's the first word. Trouble is the second word. Listen to this one. This is uh, Robbie Zacharias, and he's describing uh, in his younger days, probably 20-ish, he was on a mission to Vietnam. I believe I've shared with uh, you the story of his interpreter, Heen, I believe his name was, and how he was thrown into prison after Vietnam fell. And he was in prison, and, and the guards every day would go after him. And, and the word of God came to him. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story if you weren't here. But this is another story. I believe I don't believe I've shared this, and I have. I have. I'm sorry, but it's still an awesome this thing. Trouble. Um, a frightening three days I spent in a former school for missionary children in Dalat in the highlands. He's in Vietnam. He's got his interpreter Heen, and the they the missionaries with that he's with have left him there alone. And listen to what he does. My host missionaries had to leave me there so they could attend a conference, saying they would be back for me after three days. Can you imagine? This is in the middle of the Vietnam conflict, or the the early days of that, that tension there. As they pulled away in their vehicle, I was left all alone in that deserted school. In the early days of the conflict, the Viet Cong had stormed into that building, same building, and terror had struck. Now that terrible history plagued me. Every sound at night would wake me up and I slept with the dresser pushed against the door. It was a long three days and three fearful nights for me before the missionaries finally returned. Now the trouble starts. When they arrived the plan was to drive down to Saigon so I could be at their annual workers conference for the entire mission field. About five of us piled into the Jeep and once we got on the highway we drove through several remote areas. During one stretch, one of the missionaries turned to me and said, we're about to enter the most dangerous part of Vietnam. That shook me. I thought, why would she tell me that? Why couldn't she wait until we'd gotten through and then tell me? As we drove through the area, suddenly our car began to sputter and chug, and then it died. Just like that, we were stranded on the side of the road, four missionaries and me, with not a soul in sight. Terrified, we opened the hood (laughs) and poked around, trying to locate the problem, but nobody could find anything wrong. We tried everything, hoping that whatever needed repairing would be fixed as we fiddled around. We tightened what was already tight and uh, loosened what was already loose, but nothing worked. After a while, a white jeep appeared behind us. Coming up. Uh, the road we had just driven. As it got closer, we tried to look friendly and waved to them to stop, but when they came upon us, they swerved around us and sped away. We all had size, outsize of frustration. We couldn't blame them. They must have thought, why would anyone stop in the most dangerous part of Vietnam? They probably were afraid of an ambush. We had no choice but to stand by the roadside and pray. Then someone tried the engine again, and this time it started. Immensely grateful, we quickly climbed back into the Jeep and continued down the road. But after driving a few miles, we came upon that white Jeep. As we approached, we saw that it had been overturned, and the bodies of the four passengers were strewn across the side of the road, bullet-riddled and dead. In the distance, we could see the Viet Cong still scurrying away. We realized we couldn't stop. We had to drive on. Trouble. Ravi Zacharias was probably scared out of his wits. And he was in trouble. He was terrified. So faith and trouble. I say that to bring us to today's scripture. And I want to have us uh, dig into Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Faith and trouble. One of the questions as we're going there is um it, it's a it's a big theological question, and one of the question is on trouble. Where does it come from? Well, in First Thessalonians, chapter three, it tells us, Paul's telling Thessalonians that we should expect trouble as believers. We should be expecting that the the enemy of our souls, Satan, will organize pushback against us. And they were experiencing persecution, and Paul was telling them, hey, This is not a surprise for those of us who follow and trust Jesus Christ. Persecution, trouble is going to be here. So in James he says, Consider it all what? Joy whenever trials come to your your way? We should expect it. Trouble is there. But where does it come from? Sometimes it comes from us doing right, and trouble comes at us because the enemy is opposed to what we're doing. Sometimes trouble comes of us through other people who are in sin. Think of an alcoholic father who is influencing his children negatively, or, or abusing his children sexually or physically, that's, that's choices of someone else that's bringing trouble into someone. What about, what about the trouble that we get ourselves into with our own sin? When, when I sin, I know that my life gets out of whack. And trouble is in, in my. It's going to be around me because of what I've, I've personally chosen to do. That's another place where trouble can come. But another one that theolog- theologians really battle around, and I, again, I'm just a pig farmer kid from Kaysbury, Illinois. But can trouble come from God? Again, it's a very challenging question. But the reality is that God allows trouble into our life. Now, whether he brings it directly, that's that's a big debate. But God uses trouble, doesn't he? In the Old Testament, time and time again, the people uh, declare their trust in him, they walk away, and he brings trouble to bring them back to him. And uh, so trouble is something that God knowingly can bring into our lives or allow into our lives to help us become what he wants us to become. And I believe that this is a part of this experience that the disciples had with Jesus. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. I'm reading the, the English Standard Version. Is that the right that right? ESV. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now immediately, what what happened just before that then? Well, it's the feeding of the five thousand. Remember that story? They had this huge mass of people together, and they didn't have food to feed them, and Jesus says, feed them, to the disciples. We, we, all we got is a couple fish and a few loaves of bread, and but but in the end, five thousand of the men plus all the women and children were fed through the miracle of what Jesus had done. And it says in this verse right here: Immediately, Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. So Jesus hikes up the mountain. He's alone praying. The disciples are in a boat rowing across the Sea of Galilee. The interesting thing about Sea of Galilee, um, it sits 650 feet below sea level. That's a long way. Below sea level. That, you know, when you get to the ocean front at sea level, it's like, hey, okay, location, then you go up into the mountains and get to 14,000 feet, and you're going, whoa, that's a long way. But to go below sea level, 650, and because of that, it's surrounded by a bunch of mountains. It's very common for very fierce storms to come upon the Sea of Galilee. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And when he saw they were uh, making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Pretty crazy stuff. He's walking on the water. Came to them walking in the sea. He meant to pass by them. That's a very interesting phrase to me. What, what was he thinking and why does, why does Mark record that? He meant to just, well, hey guys, and walk on by them. I don't know. Um, but when he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Wow, there's a lot in here. There's some stuff that's like, what's going on here? I don't know, but let's dig into it a little bit. Before I go any further, let's let's pray again and ask God to speak to us. God, uh, Your Word is is such a gift to us. You, You want to communicate with us, not to just inform us, not to fill our heads with facts or details about things. You want to have Your life come into us through Your Word And you want us transformed. God, we're not all we should be today. Without you, we're a mess. I need you. We need you today. God, I ask that your word would speak to us, that you would speak to us. Each person that's sitting here needs a word from you. God, would you bring it to them? Thank you again for the, the preciousness of the truth of your word. And Lord... Make this uh, helpful to us as we live lives that follow you in faith and trust. And I pray this in your name, Amen. Well, I want to dig into three areas. I want I wanted to us to consider uh, the disciples' situation, their situation, the disciples' solution, and the disciples' soul. Okay, their situation. The solution, and then their soul. All right. Here we got the disciples, and uh, they've just finished up this crazy event. Just think of this property, just full. I don't know how many acres this is, but could it hold ten thousand people if it was all stuffed? Do you think? Maybe. If every piece of land, think, think of that. Think of Jesus out there, and these people are hungry, and Jesus goes, "Well, feed them." And a little kid with a lunch says, this is all we got. This is it. Send them back into Peoria. they got to get to McDonald's quick. This is all we got. Jesus says, no. And he, he again, does the miracle of feeding those, those thousands of people. And what does Jesus do at the moment that that's done? Immediately, Jesus says, get into the boat. You're going across the way. I'll dismiss the crowd. Now, Jesus is God, right? What does Jesus know about their journey in the boat from where they are over to Bethsaida? He knows there's a storm, right? He knows what he's sending them into. And why does he do this? What what is prompting him to say, go there? He knew it was in store for them. And the disciples were in that storm. Why? Why? Because Jesus put them there. He tells them, go across the lake. I'm going to stay and dismiss the people. And what is he doing? He's praying, right? What, are we, what, what might you think he's praying for? God, I've got my best people in that boat going across the lake. And there's a storm that we know is happening in their lives. Trouble is there. And I know that. You know that. God, would you help them? And why why would Jesus do this? I believe that the Scriptures help us know that and that it's about their souls that we learn about at the end of this Scripture. But He's knowing that their lives, they're still trying to get it. They're still trying to figure out this Jesus, who He is, and all that that He's trying to communicate to them. He's realizing that their lives are... Around what he's doing, they're watching him walk the tightrope, but they're not getting into the wheelbarrow with him. And he's going, "Hey, get in the boat, go cross the sea. I'll be, I'll, I'll catch up with you." And what happens when they're out there? Again, they're they're working hard, and these guys are not. These are not the the. the they are trained for this kind of stuff, and they are, they're, the, the Scriptures tell us that they're struggling. They're in trouble out here. And when they see Jesus, what's their reaction? Oh, hi, Jesus. Nice to see you. And they started singing the doxology, probably. No, I don't think so. I think they were like this. Hold your ears. I'm going to scream. Ah! Ah! This is no laughing matter to them. I mean, it's humorous to us now past the fact. I bet the disciples, once they got through this and life got on track with them better, I bet they sat around the fire. Hey, you remember when Jesus, he scared the snot out of us when he was walking out the boat. I think that's what they did. But in the moment, not scary. Not not funny, excuse me. Scary. Ah! That's what the scriptures tell us. And what does that say about the disciples' heart? They see Jesus and they're terrified. They said as the scripture says, they think they've seen a ghost. They're terrified. So this is their situation. This is where Jesus is. This is where they are. And again, what's Jesus doing? He's up on the mountain praying, knowing full well, knowing full well what his instruction to them, which they obeyed. That's that's a cool part. They got in that boat and they went. Jesus, knowing full well what was in store for them, put them in the boat and they obeyed. Well, they're in trouble. That's their situation. Now the solution. Forty-eight. The last part of 48 starts this way and goes, um, And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them. Fourth watch of the night according to Israel time schedule, was probably between 2, 4, 6 o'clock in the morning, those dead hours of the day, that there is not a lot going on, and it's usually the most, kind of the darkest part of the day. And Jesus waits to that moment, that fourth watch of the time frame, and verse 48 says, He came to them walking on the sea. Now, this is interesting, because... Jesus acts. He comes to them. They're just—they're terrified. They are not expecting to see Jesus. They were not expecting His help. They weren't considering that Jesus might be available for them to get through this. They were not considering this, and that's why where they're—why where they're so taken aback by what they're—what they're seeing in front of them. So where's their faith? Where is their focus? Think about it. They're pushing against this storm. They're they're focused on like, man, that next big wave that's coming up, is it going to take us down? They're probably thinking, is this it for me? And then they see this thing that they cannot explain. They're ex- extremely shocked by what they see. And it says Jesus comes to them. In this storm, while they're in their boat, focused on the wrong things, likely, Jesus enters into their storm. He's walking to them. He says they're going to walk by them. I don't know what that means. It's interesting. I I can't figure it out. He was going to walk by them. Oh, hi, guys. But he stops. And when they cry out, verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. And again, in this moment of terror of themselves, I'm sure they were screaming their bloody voices off. They were scared to death, for they all saw him and were terrified. But, this is awesome, but immediately he spoke to them. He sees their terror, he speaks to them, and what does he say? Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. What's crazy about this is it's a very difficult, the wording there in the original language is difficult to translate into into English. And as I understand, I'm no Greek big theologian or anything, but it's more like, I am is here, you don't need to be afraid. I am, when Jesus says this, helps them understand that who they are seeing and talking to is not just another person. He is the I am the the person that they've heard about all their life that is the grand god the biggest god the lord of lords the 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 grand puba of everybody i am is here you don't need to be afraid now the interesting thing about the solution is where is jesus saying these words to him to them scriptures tell us is he in the boat or out of the boat this time he's out of the boat what's happening the scriptures tell us what is still going on while he's out of the boat. The storm is still going on. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is telling them, I am with you, I am is here. You don't need to be afraid. And where is he? He's in the middle of the storm. The, the waves are crashing around him and he's saying this to them. He hasn't stopped the storm. And he's saying, you don't need to be afraid. The boat is up and down. If it was me, I'd probably be seasick at this point. I'd be losing my cookies over the side of the the boat. I'm scared. And Jesus, in the storm, he's going, I am as here. You don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm with you. And then the Word of God says, he gets in the boat. Whoosh. Can you imagine... The emotions of these these disciples. He screams at them, "I am here. I am is here. You do not need to be afraid." <laughs> They're scared. They're fighting. And then he gets in the boat, and the waves calm down. So the solution is Jesus. He's there, all through Scripture. When he comes to Gideon, back in Judges 6, if you were here and remember, I am with you. Go, you mighty warrior, go. I am with you. I am with you to the very end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am is here. You don't need to be afraid. And then he gets in the boat. And calm. Crazy. Now, we come to, I think, one of the most discouraging down verses in all of Scripture. Because we've seen them in their situation. The solution is there, has come. And now we see this, this, their souls. And what does the Word of God says, say? Verse 51, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, my version says. What are some of the other versions that you say? And they were what? Amazed. Amazed. Sore amazed. Interesting use of language. Any other? Astonished. Astonishment. When we come to that, for for a long time I looked at that and go, that's a good thing. But in digging deeper, it's understood that this is not a compliment to these people at this point. Utterly amazed, they were standing there going, almost confused. What in the world has just gone on? Utterly astounded, my version says. And then verse 52, and again, this is one of the most down verses in all of Scripture, for me anyway. For they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. This is Mark talking about the status of their souls. He was saying, this is where we were. This is who we were, the disciples, at that point. We were astounded. We were blown away by all of this stuff, but we had not learned the lessons that God wanted us to learn, that Jesus wanted us to learn. We had not learned them. And our hearts were hard. When that that phrase comes to us and says, our hearts were hardened, our hearts were hardened, It's suggesting that we are satisfied with where we are. We've arrived. We're okay. I'm I'm satisfied. I'm not really interested in changing things here, God. Hardened hearts. In this preparation, I'm so glad that I'm here because God's revealing... Jeff, you got a hard heart. Every one of us have struggles, issues, doubt, that says, is this really true? Is God who he says he is? Is he real? Does he really care about me? Am I worthy of his love? And the fact is, no, none of us are worthy of it. And he gives it to us anyway. I don't know about you folks, but The question is when we see their souls. They had not learned the lessons of the loaves. What lessons has God brought into your world and you haven't learned it? And where is the status of your heart? Are are you saying, I need to move forward and God transforming my life and who he is and what what he's accomplished for me on my behalf? The scripture is very clear. The disciples, they did not get their lesson that they just had back up on the mountainside with thousands of people, stomachs full of food that had no food around them. They didn't get it. And so what's Jesus do? Sends them immediately into the boat to go across. That hardens hearts. They were so satisfied that they, they... we're still in the process of learning it, of getting it. And that's what's so cool about God and Christ. He's patient. He's in the boat with them. The water's calm. And it's very interesting that Jesus' main goal here is not their circumstances. Because remember, when he's standing in the water, he's going, I am is here. Don't be afraid. They're still battling it. So his primary focus of what he's delivering to them isn't for the, the storm it's for their hearts. I am is here. You do not need to be afraid. This storm is raging when Jesus is saying that he's standing on the water crazy enough as it is and he's going like nothing to be afraid of. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, I started with faith and trouble. And Jesus knew that those disciples had not gotten it yet. They had hardened hearts and they hadn't learned the lessons that they needed to learn about who the truth of God really is. And he's in there. He's taking them where? He puts them in a storm. You know what, folks? You... You've been in the storm. You might be in the storm today. I'm not talking about a physical weather storm. I'm talking about something much more significant, the storm that's in your heart. Because the reality is is that the battle, the storm, the trouble, is in the heart. The enemy, John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes to destroy and kill. But I, Jesus, have come to give life, and life to its best, to its fullest. That's where the battle is. And that's where Jesus, when he says, I'm not, yeah, I calm the sea. I can do that. But I'm more interested in calming your heart, letting you know the, the ultimate truth of God. Because, folks, we weren't built for this world, this planet. We're built for eternity. And until we figure that out, until we realize that this world, with its troubles, is going to be here that He's with us. We haven't learned it yet. And so, we're talking about and digging into these three aspects about their situation, their solution, the solution that came to them, their souls. I want to turn the page and say, okay, what about our situation? What about my situation? Where is it? Is Jesus, um, am I in the spot that's going like, man, I'm not learning the lessons I need to. My heart is hard, and so Jesus is saying, Jeff, get in the boat. Jesus sent them there for that lesson, I believe. What's your situation? What's my situation? What's our situation? What's our solution? What's my solution in this stuff? The reality is is that every one of us is going to pass on from this physical life into eternal life. Every one of us. And what God offers is eternal life. What God offers is the best that we can experience on this earthly life possible. He wants to give us the the, the absolute best for this world. What an awesome promise. That's the solution for us. We've got to get this. Because He is God and we are not, and we need Him. He tells us the truth. And then where's our soul? Where's my soul? I was confronted in, in organize, you know, thinking through this that, honestly, I think I've got a hard heart. That stinks. Because my heart is not all that it should be in front of God today. I have pride, I have sin. Just like you. I'm just like you. And what happens? The fourth hour, Jesus comes. I am is here. You don't need to be afraid. Really? Again, this story is told in Matthew and John. In the Matthew uh, version of it, Who gets out of the boat? Peter. Crazy Peter. Awesome. It's an an amazing experience. The reality is, folks, is that when trouble comes, Jesus wants us to take the step of faith, get in the wheelbarrow with them, and go, it's going to be a ride. And here we go. I'm with you. You don't need to be afraid I've got you when I'm standing on one leg of a chair on that tightrope I can hold you as crazy it is for us to think about doing that with the great blondin I'm telling you this this is crazy stuff to put your trust and hope in God and as even as crazy it is, it's the right thing to do Where else are you going to go? When that trouble has come, what are you going to put your faith into? Jesus again wants to transform their astonishment, their awe, they're they're in awe, they're in confusion. He wants to transform that into faith. Faith that is putting trust into action. Faith that has the mindset that God will act. God will act. God is going to act in this. When you go to that neighbor down the road, God's going to act in that. Do you believe it? He is. He's going to work in and through you. Faith that believes that God is there. He's in the midst of the storm. That He can and will calm the storm. That's where the faith is. And He wants to take us in this time of trouble and say, here's... The solution. I have it for you, folks. Take it. Take it. Dr. Paul Tripp shares a story about his son, Justin. Paul is a, a professor in a seminary out east in Philadelphia. And when Justin was a little kid, he and his wife would buy presents for Justin. And they would bring the presents to Justin. They'd be so excited. And he'd dig into it, find the toy, and he'd throw the toy away, and he'd play with the box. This happened time and time and time and time again, to the point where it got Paul and his wife a little a little bugged. It's like we get him this thing, and so one Christmas they go shopping for the ultimate gift, and they find it, and they deliver it to Justin. They're unwrapping the gifts, and they're so excited about little Justin getting his present. Justin gets that present, he rips it open, he holds the toy up, and to their utter joy, he's playing with the toy, and he's put the box aside. They're, they're ecstatic. They're going on with their Christmas. They're going out, he says, Paul says, he went out to the kitchen to get a little bite, and he came back in, and guess what he found Justin doing? Playing with the box. And Paul shares this analogy saying, You know what? Even as followers of Christ, we're more enjoying the box than the gift. This gift that God is offering to you and to me. Get in the wheelbarrow, folks. I've got you. I'm here. The storm's out there, it's real. I've got you. And in some respects, we're over here playing with the silly cardboard box instead of enjoying the gift that God has given us. The disciples are in this journey to learn this. And you know what, folks? I hope, I hope you're on that path with me. Realizing that you can put your life completely into the world barrel with Jesus pushing you. It's real. No other way comes close to what you can experience in that wheelbarrow. No other way. I'm telling you, we have a beautiful gift that Jesus has delivered to us. I, for one, got my hand in the air and saying, I got my eyes on the box rather than the gift. The disciples stood there in awe and in confusion. They were astonished, but they, it was the wrong kind of thing. They had their eyes in the box, and Jesus was going like, I am is with you. You do not need to be afraid. In closing, um, I'd like to just give us a few seconds, just in silence. You might be in the middle of that storm. You might feel like that boat is just on the brink of just going flipping. I don't know what's going on. Uh, You may be riding smooth sailing today. Awesome. The same is true. Jesus is saying, I am with you. You do not need to be afraid. And I want us to consider for ourselves, for yourself, what's my situation? What's the solution for me? And where's my soul today? And go before the God who loves you and and open yourself up to him to, to speak to you, to reveal to you what's going on there. Jesus saw his disciples and he put them in a boat. I, I'm wondering what God's got in mind for me to learn the important things that I need to learn, the lessons that I should have learned, my heart that should be open to him. And so let's go there and, and allow God to enter into those spots and ha- have him speak to you. And after just a few short seconds, I'll uh, close us in prayer and we can be dismissed. I really honestly believe that the most significant part of this morning has been the last few seconds. When each one of us could, in our best effort, come to you and say, Lord, what are you saying? And Lord, what's awesome to know is that you can speak to each one of us in the way that is most appropriate. Lord, when I see my situation and I see my soul and I see Your solution, I realize that I have have lots to learn. And my heart is hard. Lord, would You help me? I, I need to be transformed by the reality of who You are in my life. That You are there. I am is here. I do not need to be afraid. God, thank You for this Word. Would You have it pour into our hearts would you have it flow into us so we can't we can't get rid of it lord the thing that you want us to know would you let make it linger would you help us to not get rid of it or push it down or to throw it away may your word be active for our lives today i thank you for this awesome time in your word and with you this morning in your name amen Thirty seven.